No. So my pocket. Okay. All the wires. Thank you. Wonderful. So the move of the local church, of the church in the global south. Uh, I, uh, I'm not a minister. I'm not a doctor. I just have the privilege to work with uh, a wonderful ministry called Life in Abundance, and uh, this is a good part of the team. Uh, there are a few people who are cut off there, so yeah, don't tell them. But this is a conversation we have consistently at Life in Abundance. Life in Abundance is has it takes its name from John 10:10. 10, 10. Uh, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they, um, they being the poor, the vulnerable, may have life and have it in abundance. And so with this team here represented is uh, actually, uh, this is 14, uh, actually no, 16 of the 17 countries that we serve. And uh, it, internally we have this conversation about what is our role and how we empower and serve the local church. And when I told them I was coming out here to talk about this, uh, they told me to not sound smart <laughs> um, and to just talk about the privileges that, of what we have to do or what we get to engage uh, with local churches across all these countries. Uh, Psalm 96.3 is one of our foundational verses as a ministry uh, to declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. And so my job today is just to testify, to testify of his doing, to testify of what we've had the privilege to see, to interact with, and uh, yeah, to have an opportunity to also hear from you about how you're seeing God moving in the global south. Briefly about life in abundance, and you may have uh, caught this in, in the talk, we serve in 14 different countries uh, across Africa and the Caribbean. Uh, of course, from Egypt all the way down to the Democratic Republic of Congo, and then all the way across to Haiti and Jamaica. Beautiful, beautiful stories for how we ended up in all those countries. Uh, we feel this is the mandate for which God has called us. We're not going to start any new country programs. Um, we feel from this place we get to testify of what holistic transformational development can look like and what the power of the local church can do. And we do that through our model, if I can mention it briefly, is centered around the local church. So this is not just one church, but a gathering of churches in a community, in vulnerable communities uh, that have a sincere desire to see transformation take place there. So we gather them together and we have a conversation about us being able to have a journey a journey of about three years uh, where we can train, equip, walk with them, work with them, and invite them into a full understanding how they have all the answers for transformation in their community. Uh, that they don't need to wait for an external input, um, but there is in something internally within them that can serve and transform their community. And so we have four key interventions that we walk them through over the course of the three over the three years, and so that's economic empowerment initiatives, community health initiatives, education, and of course social engagement. And through all of this, uh, we see incredible stories and um, 
moments of transformation where these local churches um, are able to not only be salt and light, but invite so much transformation in their community. Uh, right now, as we sit in October, we just were discussing uh, that we have about 200,000 people that have been served both directly and indirectly uh, by the work of Life in Abundance this year, which is incredible that we get to be a part of that because we're a lean team, uh, but we carry a lot of faith. But yeah, and that's Life in Abundance. But we're here to talk about the Global South. Uh, So what is the Global South? Uh, The Global South has taken many terms. It's a newer term in development and in ministry as well. Um, basically, the dictionary definition, uh, it's a grouping of countries based on socioeconomic and political characteristics. And so there's a map there. And so basically you see Australia and really most of Europe and North America. And really everything south of that um, and then north of Australia is considered the global south. It's gone by different terms. Uh, in different seasons. I'm sure some of them heard, you know, the third world is referred to, the developing world, the majority world, and the periphery. Um, I, I like that term because it speaks a lot to uh, the mindset and the perspective of, of that duality, that there is a separation Uh, that there's the world that's at the center of development and transformation and impact, and then there are those that are on the periphery. And so we found many different ways to try to bring dignity to that distinction. And where, I guess, uh, popular culture has kind of landed is the global south, and so that's what we define. Uh, I know some of us have been, how many of us live and work and serve in the global south in some direction? Wonderful. So, well exposed, well understood. Um, So, the thing is, is as it was well discussed uh, by our wonderful plenary speaker, Christianity is shifting. Um, And because of this shift, of course, we're seeing right now, uh, I mean, the number that strikes me the most is that in Africa, there's 66, 667 million uh, Christians. And Pretty soon Africa will be, hold the majority of the Christian world, which is profound to me. But also, as you look at those statistics, you also realize Islam is growing there quite rapidly as well. So it is going to be the new front line for not only shaping what Christian culture looks like, but also what ministry looks like. Um, another thing that stood out to me is that, I mean, the of course, these are the list of countries that are going to hold the majority of Christian populations. And I find it interesting. Um, Yeah, really outside of the United States, all of them are in the global south. And outside of Brazil, Nigeria, and the Philippines, Mexico, um, are countries that we have the privilege of serving in as life in abundance. So we truly feel that we are at the heart of what this looks like. And I hope to be able to share some of those stories. But... Before we get there, one of the things that uh, I want to talk about is how we got here. It didn't happen by accident. I think we all know David Livingston, um, the great explorer who uh, transversed uh, Africa, and really his theme was Christianity, commerce, and civilization. David Livingston had this... uh, 
campaign to not only map out and chart Africa, but he came on the back of a colonial movement. Uh, the colonists had come to the continent, as they had other parts of the world, and they were trying to get all they could from it. And of course, so did the Christian church. Uh, they wanted new converts. And so David Livingston was coming off the back of this. And his main motivation was that there needs to be a better way for us to be able to build infrastructure on this continent so that slavery is not a tool for exploitation. Uh, so that people can understand the gospel, so that there isn't this tug of war between these institutional denominations. So the Anglicans in in um, in Britain, the uh, the Catholics in Rome, in Italy, and so on and so forth. So he. Um, ended up, of course, mapping out most of the continent and eventually had his heart buried in Zambia. Um, he felt such a love and intimacy for that place um, that they could not let his body not uh, remain on the continent. So his heart was buried under a tree in Zambia and his body was ushered back to Britain. And there's an article, or an article expert that I really like that was describing David Livingston. Um, that really stood out to me. <laughs> it says, A few achievements in our day have made greater impression than that of the adventurous missionary who, unaided, crossed the continent of equatorial Africa. His unassuming simplicity and varied intelligence, I like that, varied intelligence, his innominable pluck and his steady religious purpose form a combination of qualities rarely found in one man. By common consent, Dr. David Livingston has come to be regarded as one of the most remarkable travelers of his own age and of any other age. The British Quarterly Review. So, a season of incredible missionaries who transversed the continent. Of course, we know that Christianity was already on the continent way before David Livingston got there. But there's aspects of his interior and also this missional experience that he was really um, a crusader for. And so David Livingston gave way to other less notable missionaries, but most notable to me, uh, a gentleman named Peter Cameron Scott. Peter Cameron Scott was initially a missionary out to the Democratic Republic of Congo and after a terrible bout of illness made his way back to Britain. And while in Britain, he had the opportunity to uh, have a vision for missionary camps all across the continent. And in these facilities, there would be, it would be service in a holistic way. There would be a church, there would be a school, there would be a medical facility. There would be a holistic expression of the gospel where people would not only be served and infrastructure would be brought to these local communities, but uh, the gospel would also be preached. And so they, uh, Peter, Peter went on uh, to share this with his local church and local partners, and they weren't too pleased about the idea. So he made his way all over to the United States, to Philadelphia. And in Philadelphia, he found common spirits. And the first missionaries went out. Um, and on August 17th, uh, 1895, this was African Inland Missions, first missionary party set off. Of course, this was his sister Margaret and six others uh, leaving from Philadelphia, making their way to eastern Africa. 
So they went to end up setting camps all across Eastern Africa. And one of the places they set up their camps was in a small community uh, that actually is my hometown in Nairobi called, uh, in Kenya, called Kitui. So Kitui is an interesting place. <laughs> uh, those of you who've had a chance to visit Kenya, if there's a community that is well known for spiritualism, uh, for ancestral worship, if you ever want to put a curse on someone, you come to my hometown. <laughs> we don't have a great reputation. And there, not only that, but it's also hard ground. Uh, there isn't a lot of rain and... It was also quiet in the interior. Of course, you can tell from the map, no major water sources. And they gave themselves to this place. And so they set up a missionary facility not far from where I, where I was, uh, where my hometown is. And actually where I, my parents still have their home as well. And in this place, they began, it became a haven for people who were coming to faith and were being rejected from their families. And one of those people was my great-grandfather. Uh, my great-grandfather fled from his home, leaving his family, and fled to this little enclave in Kitui, where there was a missionary camp. And in this camp, he was taught the Bible, he was taught the Word, but also taught to be an evangelist. And from this place, he would now go out and preach and minister, and began to nurture and build the church in this place. The sad part about this story is um, Peter Scott uh, died a year later, 17 months. He barely made it a year, uh, I mean just uh, over a year serving um, in East Africa. And I had the privilege uh, during COVID, we were all shut down, and I, uh, of course, ran away home. Uh, for some good home cooking. And while I was home, I had the privilege to visit some of these missionary centers, um, especially in my county of Kitwe. Um, and I got to visit one of the graves of some of these missionaries. It was quiet, quite empty, um, unengaged. But what the legacy of these, um, of these missionaries, especially of those who established the African Inland Church, was transformational. Uh, right now, where not only that uh, mission base is left, but all across the country are hospital schools. And one of those schools is one that I went to in Kijabe. That was also started by the African Inland Mission and taught me so much about faith, about ministry. Um, even though I got into a bit of trouble, uh, but about diligence uh, and the word of God. And so we live in the legacy of missionaries like this. We as the continent um, have the privilege of hosting this next season, this next dispensation of the gospel because of their sacrifice, uh, because of what they stewarded us with. And what does that now look like today? Uh, a couple weeks ago, I had the privilege to visit the Maasai. Uh, so the Maasai are a community out in the southern part of Kenya. And in this gathering, I was there with a bishop. This bishop had actually just moved to this new region and was starting a bunch of churches. Um, he was actually starting seven new church plants in the interior part of Kenya. So the Maasai live on the periphery 
of, um, of society. There's not a lot of road access. There's not a lot of um, medical access. But this bishop, having been trained and equipped by another church partner of ours in, um, in Kenya, came to us and said, can you help us start this work in this area? Um, and we said, yes, we're happy to. He says, well, I already have seven churches ready to be planted. I just need you to come and work with us to be equipped. Um, and so I'm sitting there seeing this community of believers who are passionate, uh, committed uh, to this missionary expansion. This bishop is not trained. He didn't go to seminary. He didn't go to theology school. But he knows his job is not only to expand the word of God, but do so in a holistic way for the transformation of his community. Uh, One of my colleagues was recently in Nigeria. So the interesting thing about Nigeria is I feel that they've taken the megachurch model of the United States church and multiplied it. (laughs) Um, If you look at the largest cathedrals or evangelical cathedrals in the world, uh, of the top ten, six of them are in Africa and all six are in Nigeria. So they um, are expanding rapidly. But beyond that, he was training two organizations that invited us to come speak to them about holistic transformational development. One of them had just done a set of church plants all across the Sahel, 200 new churches, um, planting and desiring to figure out, okay, we have these churches here, we're preaching the gospel, but we have no idea how to mobilize and build and nurture the transformation with this community. Can you help us? There's another church partner of ours, um, or another partner of ours that we were invited to train in Nigeria, that had actually started 2,000 uh, home churches all across um, northern Africa. And their, their question to us is, how do you do this in a holistic, transformational way? Uh, because you, um, as a ministry, have figured this out in some way, but we realize that we cannot just come here and preach the gospel, and this is expanding faster than we're able to serve our communities. Um, the other place I want to speak to quickly is Ethiopia. Ethiopia is where the Ministry of Life and Abundance started. Um, of course, uh, a friend of mine once said the thing about Jay is that he has Kenyan hardware, American software, but baptized in Ethiopian culture. Uh, he might be in this room. So, I, even though he, he, was, he wasn't saying that in the best sense, um, it's true. There's so much of me that was shaped and informed by this place. And, of course, by the Ministry of Life and Abundance. But Ethiopia is quickly becoming the most, um, the country that is sending the most African missionaries to the world. Um, there are denominations within Ethiopia that have sent missionaries all as, as far as China, as far as Pakistan, um, to go live, be embedded, and to be supported by Ethiopian churches. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking to an Ethiopian pastor that has a church here in Texas. And they're talking about how do they, as an expat community um, in the United States, begin sending missionaries not only to back to Ethiopia, but not also planting churches and establishing um, a missional experience, especially for Ethiopians that have come here and desire to go out to the rest of the world. His passion is that my goal is no longer to reach Ethiopians within the United States. My goal is to reach the world. 
and Ethiopians back home. Uh, there is a sincere and diligent effort um, by the Ethiopian church to bring about transformation um, across the continent. So there's a shift taking place. Africa has the privilege to be hosting this new dispensation of, um, of Christendom, of this chapter that we're walking into. And as it was discussed, um, there's new wineskin. Uh, Matthew 9, 17 says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on old garment, for the patch will pull away, and the garment will tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, and the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they will pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. I love that term, the tear worse and the preserving of both. As we, as we shift into this new dispensation, as we recognize that Africa is beginning to steward so much of uh, the gospel in this season, as we begin to recognize the growth of the African church, as we begin to recognize the global south being the one leading and informing not only the missional experience but also what transformation looks like, what does this genuinely mean? Uh, for me uh, and for us internally, a lot of the conversations we've had, we, if I could use Micah uh, 6.8 as a reference, um, I speak to Africa, but really this is a word for the global south, that we're a call to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. Act justly. We have a responsibility to act. I'll say for us as a continent, even though we're proud of the shifting of what's taking place, uh, sometimes we don't believe it. We don't believe that really it's our time. Is this our space? I was in a brief meeting um, with uh, some, a wonderful church that's doing work all across the western USA. And I invited a friend of mine who's a pastor in the city. And they were talking about... Uh, uh, program that they have in their church uh, where they've uh, basically inviting a lot of um, new believers and new members in the church to become rooted in the things that they're doing as a church. And I said, wow, this is amazing. And they said, yeah, we have probably taken 4,000 people through this program. And this pastor friend of mine says, yeah, I wrote that program. We kept quiet. We're like, no, 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 I don't think you understand what we're saying, There's, it's, it's based in the United States and it's going this and this way. He's like, yeah, I wrote that. And we said, no, you can't. And he said, yeah, I did. And it was adopted and formed. It was something born and shaped in Nairobi, something that he implemented in his local church and generously allowed it to be used and shaped uh, for transformation here. We thought, wow. I thought, wow. <laughs> and he's my friend. <laughs> Incredible. There is, there is a part of us, especially for us uh, from the Global South, people talk a lot about Africa being a young continent. There's a lot that's new that we're stepping into. But there's a lot we need to recognize that we have the capacity within ourselves. Um, sometimes in, because of how history has written a different story about us, how um, circumstances have shaped the dynamics on the continent, we can think less of ourselves than we should. So we have a responsibility to act. 
on this season. We have a responsibility to move uh, with courage and with diligence and to love mercy. To love um, the, the biggest debate that I've actually had with some of the more established churches back home is that our responsibility as a church is just to preach the gospel and the rest will be done. And when I push back on that, they say, no, 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 no. We have aid agencies. We have um, other do-gooders. We have the government. Our responsibility as a church is just to preach on Sunday. And that's all. And of course, uh, those debates um, can get um, quite delicate because there's a mindset shift that is, that is required. And as Life in Abundance, as we partner with these churches, that's a lot of, that's honestly what we invite them into, is a change of perspective. One of the phrases that we love the most and we love to hear, and we've, it's almost like we chase it, is to hear someone say, oh, I feel like my eyes have been opened. A light has come on. We, as the Global South, have a responsibility to talk about holistic transformation, about the church being able to serve the mind, the body, and the spirit um, with diligence in all ways. And lastly, to walk humbly with some of the pains of the shift as we receive the gospel. The messengers weren't always perfect. Um, as we receive the gospel, the, the modes or the dynamics around it weren't always healthy. Um, my great-grandfather was an evangelist. My grandfather consistently reminded me of all the pains and frustrations he lived through under the colonial government of, of Kenya. And how going to that same missionary school, that some of the missionaries that were sent to serve and empower and teach children that, in that community weren't always doing so in a dignified way. So there's a lot of disappointment that we've received. And so there can be a desire, um, especially for us in the Global South, if I can speak broadly, um, to feel that we need to correct injustices. And we have a responsibility to recognize that we, rather than correcting, need to look at ourselves um, with diligence, with humility, and recognize how do we, with compassion, um, not pass on more hurt, not pass on broken ideologies or um, irresponsibility. And that is not a... That is not a judgment on how it was received um, because we have the responsibility to honor the legacy that we walk with. Um, I'm a Christian today because of the sacrifice of Peter Scott. And it would be deeply, deeply irresponsible to tell any other story other than one of honor. For the Global North, um, our, the invitation here are three, to learn together to go together, to serve together, um, to learn together. One of the things that uh, I've appreciated is that, as it was spoken today in the plenary, that missions is no longer going from the north to the south. It's everywhere to everywhere. Um, we have missionaries. We have, I have 
friends my generation who are going out as worship pastors and leaders in Europe and, and, and here in the United States. Um, we have friends back home who have decided to pick up and invest their lives in, in Nairobi and in Ethiopia and many other places. So we're going everywhere to everywhere. So with that, we have a responsibility to have a space of shared learning. Um, to realize that the dynamic, the wineskin of the past, isn't what's going to hold this new wine. And we have a responsibility to ensure that this new wine is preserved and carried well. To go together. Um, we need to be able to sit at the table together. Uh, a friend recently um, shared with me that there's a ministry uh, that he was discussing and consulting with uh, here in the Global North that's a sending ministry. And they were really struggling to understand how do they send missionaries or even include missionaries uh, that are from the global south. That we have always traditionally been sending Westerners, but really can it work if it goes the other way around? If we cannot walk hand in hand in course, in friendship, how can we portray a story of us being one? Uh, how can we portray a story of us being the global church? One of the things that we talk about a lot at Life in Abundance is that when we come into the kingdom, we adopt a kingdom culture. That means the culture that we had and embraced, we sacrificed that and put it on the altar and embrace a culture that is kingdom, that is oneness, um, and not one that is strictly African or strictly Western. It is kingdom, and that kingdom culture is consistent in all its forms, and all its shapes. And lastly is to serve together. I um, want to tell one last story of uh, uh, a minister that was serving in Geneva. Uh, we have an office in Geneva that is run by a wonderful woman uh, named Julia. And one of the things that Julia has had the privilege to do is to engage denominational leaders all across the uh, German-speaking Switzerland and uh, the German part, uh, or Germany as well, I should say, um, to talk how do they reframe their missional experience. Because Switzerland and Germany used to be sending missionaries uh, throughout the continent, really throughout Asia as well. But since then, that missional movement has shifted. And by God's grace, we've been invited into that conversation. And one of these denominational leaders was talking to me, and he was saying how in Geneva, where the Reformation was open and started, um, they were having a gathering, a gathering to celebrate not only the anniversary of that Reformation, but to also celebrate the city. And in this gathering, of course, the mayor was there. Of course, you know, Geneva also hosts a lot of major international organizations, and they had people speaking each day. And Switzerland, of course, is not... Um, uh, it's very post-Christian in many ways. You need to be very gentle and very careful with how you talk about the gospel and how you're inclusive. And so the f speaker on the first day was a professor. The speaker on the second day was the mayor, who happens to be gay, um, and spoke from that worldview. And they were debating who the third person should be. And they thought, you know what, let's invite uh, one of our Nigerian brothers was a pastor as well. Um, and so he sent in his talk about what he was going to talk about. And he gets on stage. And from the first sentence, they realize he's not following the script at all. <laughs> and he goes on to 
very directly call the people of that city to understand their heritage, to understand the story that they carry, to understand that in this place, um, John Calvin and all these other reformers redefined what Christianity and the expression of the gospel would be, that that was then their mandate. That was what they were called to do. And so he told me how he could feel everyone ripping the cloth off their seats, <laughs> um, especially a lot of the organizers. And immediately he finished talking. Uh, people ran to him and said, no, we need to issue an apology. This was out of line. This was inappropriate. This was not right. And he said, you know what? Let's let it lie. Let's see what God does. A week later, he walks into the mayor's office. And the mayor looks at him and says, wow, that was amazing. When can we do this again? <laughs> there is a way that, there's a grace and a favor that we've been allowed to carry as a continent in this season. I don't know why, uh, but God has allowed it. And if we cannot do this together, there are messages, there are things that we have the privilege to be able to speak um, in this season uh, without recourse because there's a favor. And if we cannot do that together, if we cannot invite God to transform our worlds together, um, we lose. I also say that because, uh, for me, this story of transformation, this story, especially in my little hometown, was told to me by another old preacher um, that actually was there at my grandfather's funeral. He stood at his funeral and spoke about how we as a community um, were not known for our witchcraft or our good times, but this little town was known to be one that sends missionaries. One that has an opportunity to impact and transform. That was the perspective. Those are the people that settled in this town. That's the first time I heard that in clarity. Um, and this man, um, God bless him, felt that that was his responsibility. He said, I will continue to tell this story. And I thought, my goodness, I, how do I capture this? Um, so during COVID, I always enjoyed like going to his home and trying to figure out, okay, can you write a book? Can you, how do we preserve this um, and preserve this legacy? And one of the things I love is when I was recently had an opportunity to talk with a lot of pastors in that community that serve in different small churches in that community. And the language they talk about is that, that we may be village pastors, but our ministry is global. Which is an incredible thing. That in this little corner of Kenya pastors who have a sincere desire to transform not only see that responsibility of transformation to land on their community, but the world. So as I close, again I speak to John 17. Uh, Jesus prayed. Um, prayed for us. Prayed for his disciples. Prayed for those who are called by his name. And he said, I pray that there will be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. In this dispensation, even as we talk about the shift to the global south, even as we talk about 
um, Africa being able to steward this season of the gospel. We, as we talk about it, even uh, within life in abundance, we do so with a lot of fear and trembling. There's a lot of humility because there's a lot at stake in this season. And our objective is not to create an African expression of the gospel. Our expression is to continue to usher in the kingdom. And the kingdom isn't just African. It's not just American. It's the world. And so with that, no one ought to be left in the periphery in kingdom expansion. No one ought to be left in the periphery. So as I close, I, my invitation is one, yes, that we would serve together. Yes. I don't know if you're aware of this, but as of three weeks ago, mm. there was a link between Kingdom North. Hi, I'm George Stewart, <laughs> representative from Alaska. And as of three weeks ago, there was a link between Kingdom North and Kingdom mm. South. Our, my church in Anchorage, Alaska, is now linked to a church in Nairobi, Kenya. Oh, wow. We have a partnership that started three weeks ago. Two oh, wow. of my pastors were over in Nairobi as they started this program linking my church, Rabbit Creek Church in Anchorage, mm. to, and I'm sorry, I don't remember the name or know the name of no, no sure Nairobi. I'm going to have to find out. Yes. But we have a direct link between mm. Anchorage, Alaska, and a church in Nairobi, Kenya. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. We also have one in Asia. Oh, wow. Maybe I can ask, what does that partnership well, look our like? Our church is really engaged in reaching mm. out to communities around the world. Mm. Obviously, we have Rabbit Creek East, and <laughs> we have Rabbit Creek West. Mm. Thank you. Yes, Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the world, right? right. So with that, um, I'll pause there. Uh, we, I've, I know there's several of us that actually have an opportunity to be serving in the global south in different ways. I'd be really curious to hear how that expression and what ways you're seeing that being made manifest. Um, I'm going to pick on you first. <laughs> if you can be kind. Can I send the mic to you? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jay. Uh, it's just fantastic. My name is John Dovalui. My ministry is in India. But it's been a great uh, affirmation to hear Dr. Florence earlier and Jay now. To see the world and the definition of missions is not limited to go somebody going from uh, U.S. or European country to global south and not. There is a truly that uh, where it should be go from one place to other place and uh, it should be just the pandemic as one thing taught us uh, that we are all in this together. It does not matter, the virus does not discriminate, the virus does not uh, just affect one country whether you are rich or poor, it affects mm-hmm. everywhere and we all need to be together. Mm-hmm. So I just want to uh, Thank Jay and Dr. Florence for their movement to really give voice to the global south and challenge uh, all of us uh, if you are in the west to that this is God's doing. It's amazing in our eyes. 
Change is difficult. Many times uh, uh, when I travel here in the United States that I almost feel like people are saying that, oh, you come to my country, see my job, mm. and uh, trying to do this thing. Here, why you, we don't need it here. Your mission is there. Mm. But uh, I think the reality, the numbers are pretty clear as we mm. move forward. This is the exciting time to be at, and uh, thanks, Jay, for again verifying that. Uh, and it's true in Asia, it's true in Africa, and it's true in the rest of the world. And Global South is a huge area. Very kind. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. Um, Nick, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call on you. I already warned you. So forgive me. Um, I'd, I'd love for you to share with everyone just how the shift took place um, of handing over the church, um, the the hospital, over to fully staffed African team. Um, please. <laughs> Sorry to pounce on you. <laughs> Hello, uh, Nick Schwedak, I'm a physician, my wife Jade's a nurse, and uh, we uh, had spent three years in Uganda, a hospital that was being built by a uh, NGO, um, but from the beginning it was staffed mainly uh, run by Ugandans, um, and the whole goal was uh, it to be a run-led hospital. Um, you know, when you, when you, it's not like you feel very, uh, ethnocentric, very cultural-centric, you know, that, you know, wow, I've got a lot to do. But when you go, I mean, there was, I was very humble as a physician, got in a position, very well trained, even some things at the clinical bedside, probably better. I rely more on technology, echocardiogram, and lab tests, where uh, I was really, the clinical officers and medical officers uh, taught me so much about things that I didn't know, but... I was able to partner and bring bedside ultrasound and some things that uh, I had not had the experience to be part of. So um, I feel like we were partners. You know, we kind of came, came together. Uh, I mean, the Uganda Jim started working with us. Uh, some of the amazing things he was able to do that uh, even some visiting Western OBGYNs were like, wow, that's... You know, that's amazing what you're doing. So, I mean, it's really quickly you came to realize we were not really needed. We were more partners and we could bring some technology and bring some uh, leadership, model some things. But then in turn, uh, the leadership of Ugandans was amazing. So, um, really through a period of about three years, uh, it was almost all Ugandans anyway from the beginning uh, and local church there. And so it quickly became we weren't really needed. Ugandan uh, um, hospital administrator, we finally hired that. That was our last piece. And so we kind of stepped back. And, and uh, um, Western docs still go occasionally, but we're usually going from what can we maybe help or train or what is needed. And, um, you know, uh, maybe they don't have a hematologist or a pathologist and we're able to sit kind of work together. But it really was a partnership and and uh, you quickly feel like you've got a lot to give. But really, we had a lot to learn and it was a, a great three years. And it's going strong with no uh, Global North uh, leadership or, or uh, providers. So. 
so much there. Um, I, I thought that story was so profound. Um, being able to hand over a whole lot. <laughs> um, yes, the challenge here, or my invitation, is I think this, the expression of the gospel or our story as believers is not going to get easier to testify um, in all the spaces we are in the world that we live in. Um, how else will they know that um, we are His and thus we can express love and do so in unity and do so um, with equity, with no one on the periphery. So whether it's us being involved in ministry, whether it's us being involved in our churches, whether it's us being able to be advocates of a better way, we have that responsibility. So I don't know if there's any questions or comments before I close. Thank you so much for coming.